Father, we don't have a means to measure the depth of your love. And we hear Paul say in Ephesians that we might know the height and the depth and the breadth, the width of your immeasurable love. But when we remember the cross, we have some understanding. And Lord, it's even as we sing and as many times as we've heard this, it's just hard to believe that knowing us as you know us, you would send your only son to die for us. And I pray God, we would never become casual about that or so comfortable with that, that that just seems to us to be a matter of course. But instead I pray Lord that you would teach us again the incredible price that Christ had to pay to set us free, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name for grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen and amen. Thank you, you may be seated. God is good all the time. I saw a little prayer. I think that will help us at the beginning of a new year. Maybe you have prayed this prayer before. Um, I came across it years ago and I, I think it's, it's helpful. Uh, Heavenly Father, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. Is this you? I haven't lost my temper. haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, I'm about to get out of bed. And after that, I'm going to need a lot more help. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We, um, at the beginning of a new year, can look back on the regrets of the past year. And what we don't want to do is bring all of that baggage with us into a new year. But if we're not careful, we will. And um, I was just thinking earlier today, I've always wanted to say this in, ser in a sermon. I'm so happy to be home from Vegas. Now there's a story behind that and I need to tell you this story that that was the cheapest way for me to get to the bowl game that I wanted to go to and so I took my family and I'd been to Vegas before one time on a preacher's convention which sounds a little odd as I say it but um, when they found out we weren't gambling they started charging us a lot more for the food that time but I, I, that whole time I stayed at the New York, New York and this roller coaster kept waking me up all night long as it went by my room. And so I thought maybe the kids could ride the roller coaster and that would make it more of a vacation. And I've always wanted to see the Grand Canyon because that's on my bucket list. So we fly into Vegas, drive down for the game and then drive back by the Grand Canyon and then go back into Vegas and spend the night and fly home the next day. And it just, it sounded like a great plan for a vacation. You can ask my family how well it actually went, but um, it sounded really good at the outset. And you know, what was amazing was um, the morning that I woke up in Vegas, I always kind of run wherever I am. And so I'm running on these streets of marble, literally. Um, and I look up at these amazing buildings and I just marveled at um, the magnificent monuments that man can make with money. I mean, I was just amazed at what I saw. And I thought, you know, everything that glitters is not gold, but there is a lot of glitter in this city, a lot of bling, a lot of glam. And I'm just looking at this and just going, wow, what an amazing monument to human achievement. 
And I placed that beside the Grand Canyon, which was traced with God's finger, which we had seen the day before. And I think God's um, more amazing than what man can build. And just when you begin to think, well, this city has just um, got it all together. I run into a couple who are having a very public and very violent argument on the street. And it's a young woman and a young man. And I think she probably worked for the young man, but I'm not sure. And he's yelling at her and she looks really scared. And so she just sits down beside the street because I'm thinking that's the only place that seems safe to her. And it was just kind of scary stuff. And I was thinking about why they call that city sin city. And then I started thinking about our city and I thought every city is sin city. Solzhenitsyn said, if there were only some place where we could just sort of designate the evil and say, well, it's all over there and just leave the evil over there. But the problem Solzhenitsyn said with evil is it, it, it tracks through every human heart. And who wants to take away a, a part of their heart? And the truth is, um, as Dallas Willard said years ago, we have reduced the gospel to sin management. And so our understanding of God's goodness is that we'll just try to manage our sin a, a little bit better. We'll try a little bit harder to do a little bit better, a little bit harder to do a little bit better. Can I just ask you, how's that working for you? Because my sin management just sort of, all I can say about it is as I try to manage my sin, mostly what I do is just manage to sin. And I wondered how we could move beyond sin management in a new year. And before we come to the Lord's table, can I just show you a story in Psalm 51? You may know this story, um, the story of David and Bathsheba. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and his word and just hear this confession. We've prayed a corporate confession. This is David's confession after he sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. This is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then John in the New Testament writes these words in 1 John chapter 1, verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father 
in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you, you may be seated. I've heard the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. You remember it was in the time when the kings go off to war. David finds himself out of position. He's not where the kings go. He's at home. He sees another man's wife. He takes her as his own, then um, realizes the consequence of that. She's expecting a child. He calls her husband home. Her husband has more integrity than David, though he's a Hittite. He has more integrity than the man who is after God's own heart. And David is still trying to cover up his sin. And so he tries to get Uriah to help him, but Uriah won't help him. And so he sends Uriah back and has him killed. And then in some manner of thinking, he chooses to take the woman as his wife. And somebody would look at that story in Hollywood and say, well, all's well that ends well. But David had a friend. Really, he was a gift. His name was Nathan which means a gift. And he gave David the gift of accountability. Nobody else would tell the king what he had done, but Nathan went to him and told him a story about a man who had flocks and herds of sheep. But when he had to kill one, he decided not to kill one of his, but take another man's only lamb, his favorite lamb, the lamb that ate at his table, his pet lamb, and he killed that lamb. And David said, whoever did this is gonna die and Nathan gave him the painful gift of looking the king in the eyes and saying, yeah, that would be you. You are the man who has done this. And Psalm 51 is just David saying what Nathan said back to God. Nathan said, you are the man. And David says, I am the man who has done this. And we hear his confession and maybe you're like me, when you hear somebody pouring out their heart like this to God, you wonder, so how can he say these things in a world that has become very adept at concealing sin? David just confesses it all. And I came to believe as I studied this again this week that the only reason David could confess to God was because David could confide in God, because he could trust him because he knew his nature, because he knew that he was merciful and that his love was unfailing and that he was full of compassion, he could say, you know, I know what my sin is, but even better, I know who you are. And wasn't it John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace who said near the end of his life, I've come to learn two great things. One is I am a great sinner and two, God, you are a great savior. And David pours out his heart to God and you can almost watch the healing happen as he pours out his heart and begins to experience God's grace and mercy and restoration and healing and recreation of his life. Then he, he gets his footing back and begins to say, God, because you've done this for me, here's what I'm going to do for you. And I thought as I read this this week that at some point in our lives, we will have to move beyond sin management and just come under new management. And the new management is God's management of our lives. And here's how God manages sin. He sends his son to die for it so that we can be released from the penalty and from the power of sin. Don't we need that to happen 
in our lives. And, and, and David shows us the way and John repeats it. It's the same story. One is a story, the other, the other just an explanation of the story. And, and here's the story. If we try to conceal our sin, it will not go well with us. We were reading part of Psalm 32 in our corporate confession. And what David says about that is after all his efforts to conceal the sin, at the end of the day, Psalm 32 verses three to five, you try to hide your sin from God and your, your bones will ache. You ever had that feeling? Because that's, that's what David experienced when he tried to conceal his sin from God. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we haven't sinned, we're calling God a liar. Verse 10, if we say we haven't sinned, his truth is not in us. There's no sense trying to conceal our sin, trying to hide. In fact, the earlier part of 1 John 1 is about God's light and darkness. Remember Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus and he comes by night and Jesus' answer is, yeah, just come out into the light. Don't be Nick at night. Come out into the light of my love and mercy and find out how much I love you. You can't keep your sin underground. And I was reading this week that, that in Las Vegas um, that there's a, a couple named Catherine and Steve who live in the water tunnels beneath the city and they're not alone. There's 700 people who live down there and they say they live down there because it's cooler and because the, the police don't hassle them as much there. Um, but it's, it's a, a bit of a dangerous place. Some 20 people in the last 20 years have drowned in floods underneath the city, but they've built this community. It's a graffiti community of artists and they paint on the walls and they live under the city. And you just want to say, hey, that's not a safe place to be. And the truth is we can't, we can't keep this underground. Who, who we are comes out. Our sin will find us out. No matter how hard we try to conceal it, it, it comes out in myriad ways in our lives. And so David finally concludes that he can't conceal his sin, that the only freedom is in confessing the sin. And when he does, that's, that's when good things begin to happen as he owns and takes personal responsibility. This is, this is by the way, more than an apology. I saw this definition this week. Um, I think it was Susan Wise Mauser says that an apology, an apology is an expression of regret. I'm sorry. But a confession is an admission of fault. I'm sorry because I did wrong and I sinned. And we, we've got a lot of um, blame and shame in our world, enough to go around. And I don't want to put any more on us today, but I, I think it's significant as Dennis Wade said that we've got this statue of liberty on the East Coast out there in the harbor reminding us of our freedom. And he said, to balance that out, we kind of need on the West Coast, maybe like a statue of responsibility. So you can kind of balance the liberty and the responsibility and kind of live in the tension between the two. And the, the answer that David comes up with is it's not, it's not Bathsheba's fault. It's not Uriah's fault. It's not his parents' fault. It's not Adam and Eve's fault. It's David who has sinned. And you and I have to come to the place, I think, where we own our sin and say, this is mine. I did this. I'm responsible and I accept that responsibility because until we come clean with God, we can never find out what it means 
to be made clean. It's why he says, look, I can't hide from you, God, so would you hide my sin from you? It's why he says, God, I have to speak the truth to you because I can't live this lie any longer. And what David is doing is putting himself in this marvelous position to be forgiven and to experience God's grace in a powerful way in his life. And it occurred to me that we need this in our lives during the Great Awakening Um, Jonathan Edwards was preaching to a group of 800 men and one of the men's wives um, slipped him a note and the note just explained that her husband had been unkind to her that day and had spoken harshly to her and she wanted the pastor to know. And so when Edwards stood up to speak, he thought, well, we can all learn from this. And so he said, "Um, I'm just gonna read this note from one of your wives and this is what she said you did. And um, if, if, if this is your wife, would you just stand up so that we can pray for you about this problem that you're having. And fully 300 of the men stood up. And I was thinking if I were there, I would have had to stand up. And maybe you would have to stand up on that issue or another. I could be in Vegas for the rest of my life with unlimited money and nobody ever knowing, and I'm pretty convinced I um, would not gamble because it's just not a temptation to me. I have friends who have run up $40,000 bills on credit cards and couldn't buy a new car for their family because they had a problem with it. That's not my problem, but I have problems too. And I guess you do as well. And what I would just say to you is there's no sense in trying to conceal that. In fact, I heard years ago about a preacher who went to Vegas and um, he was preaching a revival there and he was staying in one of the hotels. And if you stay in a hotel there, there are these slot machines and he never had any interest in it. But as the week went on, he kept seeing it, he thought, you know, I'd like to just do it one time, just one time. And he was waiting for his ride to arrive. And there was one right there on the curb. And he thought, well, I'll just, okay, nobody's going to know. And he just puts one quarter in and he pulls it. And wouldn't you know, as the car pulls up to pick him up, bing, bing, bing. And money just starts dumping out of the machine. And there he is with all this money and looking and there's the car. And I'm just saying your sin will find you out. I don't know what it is, but it will find you out. But the good news is that when we try to run from God like Adam and Eve did, we find that God is, is looking for us. And, and I got better news for you than that your sin will find you out. Your savior will find you. He will find you. And when he finds you, will you Come to him. I I love this thought that instead of running away from God when we sin, we ought to run to God because he's the God. Listen to the way, listen to the way that, that David describes him. David knows his sin, but he knows God even better. And he says, you're the God, verse one, with unfailing love. You're the God with great compassion. You're the God who washes away all my iniquity. It's the verse I learned when I was a kid, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin to him, that literally means if we say the same thing, if we agree with God, then he will forgive us. Why? Because he's faithful and he's just. Because Jesus, the righteous one, is the advocate. The word is paraclete, the one who comes along beside us. He's the one who stands with us. And he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the one who paid the price for our sins. So we don't have to run away from him. We run to him. And when we run to him, we find out how much he loves us and how much he wants to forgive us. And we discover that he's not only the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but John goes on to say for the sins of the whole world. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we are missionaries wherever we go. So if you go to Vegas, you're a missionary to Vegas that day. If you go overseas to Africa, you're a missionary to Africa that day. If you're in China, you're a missionary 
in China, wherever you go, you're on mission. This is part of 2020 going forward and that's coming in the next couple of weeks. And I can't wait for you to see what God has shown this group of 49 leaders in our congregation about the future of our church. And next Sunday, I'm just gonna talk with you about being a disciple making church in this year of the disciple at Tallowood making disciple makers. But in the week that follows on the 18th and 19th, they're gonna roll out all these videos in our worship. I'm gonna have a few things to say, but they're just gonna show us what God has shown them. And one thing they're gonna say is that we are missionaries and every one of us is on mission all the time. Wherever we go, we're missionaries to our neighbors. We're missionaries to our coworkers. We're missionaries to the other people on I-10 when we're driving. We're always missionaries everywhere we are. And we are because there is no other way for anybody in the world to be saved except through Jesus Christ. With deference to the fact that there are elements of truth in so many different religions in our world, there's only one who became the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. His name is Jesus. And the whole world becomes Christians. The whole world gets right with God, reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, or not at all. I mean, that's what the the scriptures teach. And that's why we're urgent about reconciling others to God. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, um, because I've been reconciled with God, I urge you to be reconciled. This is why we confess our sins to God and say the same thing that he says. He says we've sinned. There's no sense lying about it. We say we've sinned. And here's what happens. He forgives. No, he, he creates us again. He makes us new. It's not David saying, dust me off so I can try a little harder to do a little better. It's David saying, you, gotta, you made me. You got to remake me. Because this goes deeper than just being dusted off. I can't get rid of this in the shower. I can't clean up enough to take away the guilt and the shame. But you could take it away through the blood of your son. You could take it away if you would. Recreate me. He says, create in me a clean heart. Make me new. Bill Henson was one of my favorite preachers in Houston when I moved here. I loved him. He let me do a, a revival one time down at First Methodist. And, and I love Bill because um, he told his story about this lady who had seven kids and they live in an apartment complex and she sent them outside on a vacation day to go out and play. And they were playing hide and seek and roofers were re-roofing the apartment complex. And the youngest child found the best hiding place. It was in one of the used up barrels of tar. Just climbed in, put the lid on and hung out there and won the game because nobody found him in the barrel. But when they said, okay, the game's over and he came out of the barrel, he was covered in tar and they didn't know what to do. They, they knew mom was going to be mad, but they, they brought him up to the door and they opened the door and mom came and looked at him and she said, child, it would be easier to make another one than to clean you up. <laughs> and you, and you know, I think God must feel that way about us sometimes, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, it'd be easier to do this over than to clean up David, murder, adultery. It'd be easier. But the good news is he can make us new. He can give us a new beginning. Another reason I'm glad to be back from Vegas is because I went there twice, not on purpose this week, but when our plane took off after many dangerous toils and snares and long lines, we got on the plane and we're flying back and we saw the Grand Canyon again. We looked down and then we looked and we were coming back the other way, seeing the Grand Canyon. And the pilot said, so we've lost an engine and we're going back to Vegas and I'm just going to land with one engine. And it's no worry because I've done this before um, in the simulator. So it's going to be great. <laughs> and um, the plane got really quiet at that part. And I was thinking, you know, seeing the Grand Canyon's on my bucket list, but I never wanted it to be the bucket, right? I never, I never wanted that. And so we're flying back and we get in and we get on another plane and, and 
wouldn't you know it, the pilot who flew the plane had timed out, so he couldn't fly. That's why they had to get another crew. But he sat right beside me on the plane back, and I had lots of questions. I mean, I just had lots of things I wanted to know about, you know, has this ever happened to you before? And has it ever happened? What if this engine had gone out, you know, and then what would you have done? And we were talking about all of that. And he was just so calm and he was reading this Christian book and we were just talking and we ran into turbulence, you know, and the plane's shaking and he's just reading his book and I'm thinking, well, he's calm, I'm calm, I'm good with this. And I remember Dallas Willard said that what God really wants is not just sin management. What he wants is for us to live a with God kind of life. And what if you knew your whole life that God was right there and he had already paid the price for your sins. Wouldn't that make you feel power not to sin, to know that God is always with you? Wouldn't you want to be with God and live a, a with God kind of life? John Grisham captures it, I think, very powerfully in a, a little book called The Testament when he tells the story of, of Nate O'Reilly, um, this um, disgraced corporate attorney who's been through alcoholism and drug abuse and, and rehab and, and dinghy fever. And, and he finds himself in a church and he's gripping the pew until his knuckles go white. And this is what Grisham writes about that. In one long glorious acknowledgement of failure, he laid himself bare before God. He repeated the list, mumbling softly every weakness and flaw and affliction and evil that plagued him. He held nothing back. He unloaded enough burdens to crush any three other people in the world. And when he finally finished, Nate had tears in his eyes and said, I'm sorry please help me. And as quickly as the fever had left his body, he felt the baggage leave his soul. And Louise Fletcher said, how I wish there were some place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish griefs could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door. Never to be put on again. If there were a place of beginning again, wouldn't you go there? And I came this morning to say, this is that place. The foot of the cross, this table, these tables with bread and cups filled with the fruit of the vine are just reminders that we really can begin again and that all the baggage can be left behind. And by God's grace, we can come to his table and receive and remember the price that he paid to set us free from the penalty and also the power of sin. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your amazing grace and love. Help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us, I pray, Lord, to remember your words that if any one of us is in Christ, a new creation happens. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.